Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 4 through 16 is our scripture reading. Last week we began a very short sermon series, Pastor Taylor and myself, on our core values as a church. The first one is how we exalt uh, the Lord and experience him in Christian worship, thinking of that vertical relationship that we have with God. Our second core value is we want to think about today, about how we are created for community. Uh, We are those who, in this church, want to equip and encourage Christians. And we see that from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, our beautiful union with the Lord and also the call to be united to one another in a true Christian community. So Ecclesiastes 4, verses 4 through 16. You could find Ecclesiastes after the Psalms that we just heard about this summertime, after the book of Proverbs, there you'll find Ecclesiastes, part of the wisdom literature. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. This is God's word. May he bless it now to our hearts. Uh, The preacher here in Ecclesiastes says this, Then I saw all toil and all skill in work come from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and who has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after win. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Indeed, may you bless it to our hearts this morning. But we live in a day of radical individualism, where more and more as families and individuals, we can live on our own little individual islands, disconnected from meaningful relationship with other human beings. You know, even when human beings are around us physically, maybe at the dinner table or in some other social setting, Sometimes we could find ourselves all just buried in our devices and we could find ourselves kind of alone together. Although we are connected in this world virtually and although our names might be on a church membership roll somewhere, we don't always experience the deep fellowship that God intends for us as human beings. Moreover, at the earliest of ages, we are told in popular TV shows and movies that we are to pursue our dreams at all costs even if it means forsaking our families or forsaking some community of faith. The message of radical individualism says that you are not defined 
by any community or power outside of yourself, but you can create your own life story. You can create your own meaning. And not all of this is completely wrong. But here in our text this morning, beloved, the preacher here in Ecclesiastes, he laments this world that is marked by an individualistic mindset. And he calls us to find contentment in a modest life and joy in living life together in community. And why is this? Well, as he shows us here, we are better together as human beings. In his wisdom, God has made us for a community that will support us, that will encourage us, that will correct us, that will empower us as we seek to live for the Lord. And so we're going to consider three things from this text, three points. Uh, and the first one, we're first going to consider a few selfish pitfalls that we can all fall into. And then second, we'll see God's selfless community. And then finally, we consider the friend that we all need. So, beloved, first, let's consider a few selfish pitfalls. And you see those in verses 4 through 6. Selfishness can rear its ugly head in a couple of different ways. In verse 4, we see one of those pitfalls is envy. When we are discontent as human beings, we could actually hate our neighbor by envying them. When we envy, uh, when envy is behind our approach to life, we don't just want to keep up with other people but we want to beat them in life. We want to win. We want to be able to say, look what I've got, or look what I've achieved. We'll go into credit card debt just to prove ourselves and make ourselves look good before the watching world. Famous actor Will Smith put it like this, we spend money that we don't have on things that we don't need to impress people who do not care. Envious people also tend to minimize uh, the achievements of other people, and they're threatened by the achievements of other people and their gifts. And again, at the, at the root of our envy is our own pride and our own selfishness. Well, if you see verse 5 as well, here's another pitfall. There's a pitfall of laziness. We're told that the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. The preacher isn't saying that this foolish man literally eats himself, but he is killing himself by depleting his resources and his self-worth. Laziness or sloth has to do with not doing what God's word requires. That's one of the things we ask God for forgiveness for, not doing what his word requires. God calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves and to work well with our hands that we might have something to share with people in need. We are all called to use our talents and our gifts and uh, the blessings that as God has given to us to be a blessing. And here in our own country, we have many unique privileges, education, health care here, many freedoms. But the fool squanders all of these God-given blessings and he loses his self-worth. See, this approach to life disregards our neighbor by not helping them. God gives us each day our daily bread so that we might be strengthened in our bodies to serve our neighbor, but the fool disregards this call to care for his neighbor. And so we see the pitfall here of envy. We see laziness. And on the other side of the spectrum of laziness, we see this pitfall, radical busyness, verse 7 and 8. Notice this. This person is caught up in what we call the rat race or pursuing the American dream, right? And they can't stop. They can't press pause. Notice we're told there's no end to his labors. 
And why is that? The preacher says, because this person's eyes are never satisfied. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 7 says this, the streams run into the sea, but the sea is never full. And that's an image of our own hearts. There's never enough money, status, respect to make our hearts content. The season of life we're in is is never good enough. We're always looking to the next one to make us happy. And so this person asks here in our text, he never asks the question, for whom am I toiling? And the preacher takes this question here and he turns it also on the people of God because this isn't just a question that people ask out there in the world. This is a question we also ask as people of faith. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What's it all for? Is this for my glory or is it for the glory of God? Look at verse 8. There's a view here of what we might call the lonely rich. Here's a man who is totally alone. He has no real friends. He has no close male relations like a brother or a son who could benefit from his toil, right? There's no one who could actually receive his inheritance or what he's been working for. He's cut himself off from all these relationships for one goal, worldly success. This is the kind of man who could pay for dinner at the fanciest restaurant here in town, but no one wants to sit with him. He's all by himself at the table. He's all by himself in life. You know, you can literally be by yourself in this world, and that's no good, because you are left with your own thoughts, with no one to process them with you or to challenge you. But beloved, you could also have a family, you could have friends, you could have children, you could have a spouse, and you could also be alone, because you never make time for them. And the preacher is saying, what good is that life? This busy person disregards their neighbor by never having time for them friends and spouses, children, all get the leftovers while anxious toil for more gets the heart. The preacher is saying, what good is it if you have all of these things, but you have no one to enjoy them with? Right? What good is it if you have all the toys and all the fancy luxuries of life, but you have no one to enjoy it with? We need to ask that question as well, beloved, because the rat race of this life can't make us happy. The preacher says it's what? It's vanity, a striving after the wind. Radical individualism in the world promises happiness if we just focus on ourselves. And there's a time in our life for what we call self-care, right? For caring for ourselves. But the goal of life is not self-care or self-gratification. God has blessed us to be a blessing. And God tells us that we are truly happy and satisfied in this life, not when we're staring at our belly buttons, but when we live for him and for the good of others. Indeed, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so notice the remedy here in verse 6. What's the remedy to these pitfalls? The preacher says this, better is a handful with quietness. This phrase, better than, is often used in the wisdom literature of Scripture to show the value of something in comparison with something else. And notice, here the preacher is showing us two different approaches to life. Do you want one handful of money or two handfuls of money? Well, he's saying, what if the second handful of money comes with toil or strife? I remember in my seminary days, 
hearing the refrain in chapel, uh, God does not call us to be faithful in one area, to be unfaithful in another. In the seminary context, it was like this, you know, God doesn't call you to get an A in your class if it means at the end of seminary you don't have a marriage anymore, or you have kids that hate you because you're never there for them. The preacher is saying, you don't want two handfuls of money if that's going to bring toil and strife. Solomon puts it like this in Proverbs 15, verse 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Less is more when love is there. Sometimes, beloved, that means saying no to that job promotion or to that job opportunity or to that move because you want time for the people that matter. You want time to be in the church of God. You want time to be able to invest in all of the things that God is calling you to as a human being. Hear the word of God from 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is of great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of it. The problem, beloved, is not money. It's the love of money, the scriptures say. And how do you not fall in love with money? The preacher is saying two things here. First, be content with less. And second, be radically generous towards others. Don't fold your hands like a fool and do nothing, but also don't take two handfuls of money for yourself. Take what you need and give the rest away with joy. This is the heart of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says of Jesus, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In this pursuit of worldly greatness, beloved Jesus redefines it by telling us if we want to be great in his kingdom, we must learn to be a servant of all men. And Jesus himself modeled what he said when he left the riches of glory to become poor for our sakes, to become a servant who would lay down his life and buy sinners like us back to God at the cost of his precious life. And now Jesus says to us in Matthew 6, that we can seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness because all of the things that we need for this life, food, clothing, and drink, God our Father will give to us. And so we see these selfish pitfalls of envy, laziness, and busyness. But now, beloved, consider how God has made us and how he's made us for community. This is our second point. God's selfless community. Verse 9, we read, two are better than one. This is God's design, beloved, even from the very opening passages of the Bible in the book of Genesis you know the first thing that the Bible says is not good? It's not good that man should be alone, right? We were created for companionship, reflecting God himself, triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in essence, three in persons. We are created for relationship, marriage, deep friendships, family relations, church settings. These are all settings where we experience, we're called to experience deep fellowship and community. Why do we need this? Why does every human being need community? Well, first reason is this, verse 10. We need community for when we fall. For when we fall. Right? What does it say in verse 10? 
For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. You know, traveling in the Middle East was dangerous in biblical times. There were no street lights. You didn't have great LED flashlights as you were walking. You could be walking on the edge of a ravine and you could stumble and fall down a ridge. Moreover, the landscapes there had deep pits for animals to fall into. And so if you were walking in the dark and you accidentally fell into one of those pits by yourself, you could die. And so all of us, beloved, we all stumble in this life. We all fall. I can remember a time when I was in Canada and I literally fell off my icy front steps as a California boy and I hit my back and I couldn't get back up. Paramedics had to come and scrape my body off the ground and bring me to the hospital to treat me. We all fall. But we could fall in more serious ways, beloved, not just physically. We could fall into sin. We could fall into destructive habits. We could fall into financial troubles. And in these times, beloved, in life, when we fall, and we all do, we need community. We need somebody to lean on. We need somebody to uphold us and to help us. The scriptures say, woe to that man who is alone when he falls. We need community for when we fall. Second, verse 11, we need community for encouragement. Verse 11, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. When it's cold outside, our warm bodies help keep each other warm, right? When you're in bed or maybe you're on the couch watching a movie, remember many cold winter nights in Canada when my wife would wake me up in the middle of the night to help keep her warm. And it's similar in biblical times. In biblical times, if you were by yourself, it was easy to be cold. Think of Jacob when he fled from Esau in Genesis 28. We're told that he slept outside and he used a stone for a pillow. Travelers in biblical times didn't carry sleeping bags on their back. They had only their cloak that they were wearing. And so in cold nights, you would often share a cloak or cloaks and you would snuggle up and your bodies would keep each other warm by your body heat. For each one of us, there are times, beloved, when our hearts grow cold. We need others to lovingly speak that word of God into our life, that word of encouragement, that word of admonishment sometimes to help warm our cold hearts. Right, Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another daily so that your heart is not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need community for when we fall. We need community for encouragement. Verse 12, here's another reason. We need community for protection. For protection. Again, when traveling in the ancient Near East, uh, there were dangerous robbers on the path. The same is true today. You go to a, a busy city, and if it's late at night, right, you don't always want to be walking down that dark alleyway by yourself. You need to be careful. It doesn't matter if you know some karate, right, or some jujitsu. If you're one-on-one -on -one and somebody has a weapon, you're going to lose. That's what the guy is saying here in Ecclesiastes. But he says if you have a brother with you, right, if you have some backup, or you have your crew at your side, he says you're going to stand a chance. When you're fighting side-by-side -side friends, you could handle more opposition, right? Think of the famous 300 Spartans in battle and how they would take that military formation by lining up their shields side-by-side -side in tight formation, which made it difficult for these larger armies to penetrate their defenses. Think about how animals travel in packs to help fight off predators. There's wisdom in this. The Word of God says here then, a three-fold cord... It's not easily broken. 
one strand all by itself is vulnerable and can be easily broken. But three strands intertwined together are much stronger. There is support in community. There is strength in numbers. And beloved, in the Christian life, no matter how mature you think you are, if you are by yourself with your shield, you're in a spiritually vulnerable place. As Christians, we battle the world. We battle our own flesh. We battle the devil. And by ourselves, we are too weak for this fight. Too weak. And God has called us, therefore, to be joined with fellow Christians who could help fortify us, who could help encourage us, who could help fight alongside of us. Sometimes, beloved, we need protection from ourselves and from our own foolishness. We could get stuck in our own little echo chambers, and we need other people to speak into our lives. Look at the end of our text in verse 13. The preacher here speaks of an old and foolish king. He goes from rags to riches, like Joseph in the book of Genesis. He goes from being in prison to being the man who's on the throne. But notice, he turns into a fool because he cuts himself off from other people. We read, he no longer knew how to take advice. Proverbs 11, verse 14, where there is no guidance, a nation fails, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. But this king has fired all of his advisors. He's isolated himself, and now he's like the lonely rich man from verse 8. God reminds us, beloved, again and again in the scriptures that we are better together. When Jesus sent out his disciples on mission, he sent them out two by two. When God raised up the prophet Moses, he also raised up 70 elders who would help care for the nation of Israel with him. I'm thankful to serve alongside a co-pastor and also a number of elders and deacons in this church who could help shepherd God's people. But beloved, in this church of Jesus Christ, God has blessed each one of you, every single one, with unique gifts, unique talents, unique strengths, that are meant to be used to enrich this one body that we call the church. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And here's the truth, beloved. Only when each one of us is using our particular gifts in the service of the body is the church of Jesus healthy. Every part of the body has to be working well together for the body to be built up in love. We are better together as God's people. And when we partner together in the work that God has called us to, verse 9, there is a great reward. This is why, dear Christians, there are no Lone Ranger believers in the New Testament. Instead, we read in Acts 2, 42, and following all who believed, were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute to the proceeds of all as any had need. So this leads us to the question this morning. Are you living in community? Not, is your name on a church membership roll somewhere? But are you actively connected to the body of believers so that you can be helped when you fall? so that you could be encouraged when your heart gets cold, 
so that you could have brothers and sisters who will fight alongside you in this world. Beloved, life is tough. And if we're living on an island spiritually, we're in a dangerous place. Right? As men, we need godly friends as well. Uh, In his book, Cry Like a Man, uh, martial arts instructor Jason Wilson writes this, every boy needs a crew, every man needs camaraderie and a safe space, not only to express his emotions, but also to release them, venting his cares to someone who cares. No matter our age, transparency will set us free. Again, radical individualism says if we just suck it up and get through it by ourselves, then we're being men. But even the best of men are men at best. We need each other. We're all going to have doubts creep in. We're all going to have struggles in our lives. We're all weak and fragile at the end of the day. That's why we need each other. But as men and women, we are called to commit ourselves to care, to a church body somewhere, to a community of faith, to a small group, a Bible study, a fellowship group, so that we can receive what God is giving to us in those communities. But we're also called to commit ourselves to caring for people, to be a blessing to them. Right? It's easy in this world to affirm worldwide movements, political strategies at this big level, but you know what's harder? Local love. Real people in the flesh and blood who need us. To love them. And God says in community, you not only need to be blessed, but you need to give yourself to the care of others. Beloved, as we begin to conclude, this call to community points us to the friend that we all need and the relationship that we need above all and that is to our lord and savior jesus christ we are created to be in a relationship ultimately with jesus you see even rich things like marriage are not ends in themselves but they're actually pointers to this enduring and lasting relationship between christ and his church And so whether you are single or married, young or old, Jesus is the friend that we all need. In Matthew 11, 19, he's called the friend of sinners. And how is Jesus a friend to us? Well, he warms our hearts when they go cold. Isaiah 41, 10, he strengthens us and upholds us with his righteous right hand. Jesus prays for us that our faith may not fail. Luke 22, 32. Jesus protects us from the attacks of the evil one. Isaiah 42, or John 10, verse 28. Jesus fortifies us when we are weak. Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Beloved, Jesus is the one who laid down his life for his friends, for you and for me. Jesus is that essential strand and backbone of all genuine Christian community in our Bible studies, in our fellowships times as a church, in our Sunday school classes, in catechism teaching. Jesus is the secret strand that brings fruitfulness and life. And apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing as a church. Our greatest need is to be living in union with him. For he said in John 15, 5, Abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. 
for apart from me, you can do nothing. Beloved in the Lord, friends will let you down. Churches will let you down. Movements in Christianity or communities of some sort will let you down because we're all sinners. But Jesus Christ will never let you down. And when it comes to the church of Jesus, we commit ourselves to a body of care, not because any church is perfect, far from it, but because we love Jesus and we trust that he is working in this place to make his bride beautiful. And he calls us to partner in that work of praying for the peace of his body and seeking her good. And so, beloved, you have been created for community, to live alongside brothers and sisters who know your name, who can pray for you, correct you at times, encourage you, strengthen you. And you have been created for Christ, to be in a living relationship with him. May we submit ourselves to God's design and in all of our shared life together, may we keep our eyes on Jesus, the friend of sinners. To him be the glory and the church, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for how you have designed us as human beings. We pray that above all this morning, you would help us to abide in Jesus Christ and his word to abide in us, that we might bear much fruit for your glory. Lord, we pray that you would also write this word on our hearts so that, Lord, if we're lonely this morning, if we're discouraged, if we're cold, if we're feeling the attacks of the evil one, we might know that Jesus is the friend of sinners who can help us and that you, O Lord, have blessed us with a community of faith that can be alongside us in this world that is so tough, so discouraging. But Lord, we pray that in this place, there might be encouragement, there might be life, there might be help, that we might know that you're at work by your spirit to help us as the body to be strengthened in Christ. And so Lord, continue to work this truth in your church here in Ontario, and as individual Christians, help us to find the blessing of living in relationship with Christ and with one another. We thank you for this beautiful design. And Father, we pray that you would be glorified in it. To you belongs all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.